Chapter twenty five of the Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter twenty five. True love, and thou be true, thou hast yin kittle part to play. For fortune, fashion, fancy, and thou, mon strive for many a day. I've kenned by mony a friend's tale, far better by this heart of mine, what time and change of fancy avail a true love not to untwine. Henderson I wish to tell you, my good kinsman, said the Marquis, now that we are quit of that impertinent fiddler, that I had tried to discuss this love affair of yours with Sir William Ashton's daughter. I never saw the young lady but for a few minutes to-day, so, being a stranger to her personal merits, I pay a compliment to you, and offer her no offence, in saying you might do better. My lord, I am much indebted for the interest you have taken in my affairs, said Ravenswood. I did not intend to have troubled you in any matter concerning Miss Ashton. As my engagement with that young lady has reached your lordship, I can only say that you must necessarily suppose that I was aware of the objections to my marrying into her father's family, and of course must have been completely satisfied with the reasons by which these objections are overbalanced since I have proceeded so far in the matter. Nay, master, if you had heard me out, said his noble relation, you might have spared that observation, for without questioning that you had reasons which seemed to you to counterbalance every other obstacle, I set myself, by every means that it became me to use towards the Ashtons, to persuade them to meet your views. I am obliged to your lordship for your unsolicited intercession, said Ravenswood, especially as I am sure your lordship would never carry it beyond the bounds which it became me to use. Of that, said the Marquis, you may be confident. I myself felt the delicacy of the matter too much to place a gentleman nearly connected with my house in a degrading or dubious situation with these Ashtons. But I pointed out all the advantages of their marrying their daughter into a house so honourable, and so nearly related with the first of Scotland. I explained the exact degree of relationship in which the Ravenswoods stand to ourselves, and I even hinted how political matters were like to turn, and what cards would be trumps next Parliament. I said I regarded you as a son, or a nephew or so, rather than as a more distant relation, and that I made your affair entirely my own. And what was the issue of your lordship's explanation? said Ravenswood, in some doubt whether he should resent or express gratitude for his interference. Why, the Lord Keeper would have listened to reason, said the Marquis. He is rather unwilling to leave his place, which, in the present view of a change, must be vacated. And, to say truth, he seemed to have a liking for you, 
and to be sensible of the general advantages to be attained by such a match. But his lady, who is tongue of the trump, master? What of Lady Ashton, my lord? said Ravenswood. Let me know the issue of this extraordinary conference. I can bear it. I am glad of that, kinsman, said the Marquis, for I am ashamed to tell you half what she said. It is enough. Her mind is made up, and the mistress of a first-rate boarding school could not have rejected with more haughty indifference the suit of a half-pay Irish officer beseeching permission to wait upon the heiress of a West India planter than Lady Ashton spurned every proposal of mediation which it could at all become me to offer in behalf of you, my good kinsman. I cannot guess what she means. A more honourable connection she could not form, that's certain. As for money and land, that used to be her husband's business rather than hers. I really think she hates you for having the rank which her husband has not, and perhaps for not having the lands that her good man has. But I should only vex you to say more about it. Here we are at the change-house. The master of Ravenswood paused as he entered the cottage, which reeked through all its crevices, and they were not few, from the exertions of the Marquis's travelling cooks, to supply good cheer and spread, as it were, a table in the wilderness. My Lord Marquis, said Ravenswood, I already mentioned that accident has put your lordship in possession of a secret which, with my consent, should have remained one even to you, my kinsman, for some time. Since the secret was to part from my own custody, and that of the only person besides who was interested in it, I am not sorry it should have reached your lordship's ears, as being fully aware that you are my noble kinsman and friend. "'You may believe it is safely lodged with me, Master of Ravenswood,' said the Marquis. "'But I should like well to hear you say that you renounced the idea of an alliance which you can hardly pursue without a certain degree of degradation.' "'Of that, my lord, I shall judge,' answered Ravenswood, "'and I hope with delicacy, as sensitive as any of my friends.' But I have no engagement with Sir William and Lady Ashton. It is with Miss Ashton alone that I have entered upon the subject, and my conduct in the matter shall be entirely ruled by hers, if she continues to prefer me, in my poverty, to the wealthier suitors whom her friends recommend. I may well make some sacrifice to her sincere affection. I may well surrender to her the less tangible, and less palpable advantages of birth, and the deep-rooted prejudices of family hatred, if Miss Lucy Ashton should change her mind on a subject of such delicacy, I trust my friends will be silent on my disappointment, and I shall know how to make my enemies so. Spoke like a gallant young nobleman, said the Marquis. For my part, I have that regard for you that I should be sorry the thing went on. This Sir William Ashton was a pretty enough pettifogging kind of a lawyer twenty years ago, and betwixt battling at the bar and leading in committees of Parliament, he has got well on. The Darien matter lent him a lift, for he had good intelligence and sound views, and sold out in time. 
but the best work is had out of him. No government will take him at his own, or rather his wife's, extravagant valuation. And betwixt his indecision and her insolence, from all I can guess, he will outsit his market, and be had cheap when no one will bid for him. I say nothing of Miss Ashton, but I assure you, a connection with her father will be neither useful nor ornamental, beyond that part of your father's spoils, which he may be prevailed upon to disgorge by way of talker good, and take my word for it, you will get more if you have spirit to bell the cat with him in the house of peers. And I will be the man, cousin, continued his lordship, will course the fox for you, and make him rue the day that ever he refused a composition too honourable for him, and proposed by me on the behalf of a kinsman. There was something in all this that, as it were, overshot the mark. Ravenswood could not disguise from himself that his noble kinsman had more reason for taking offence at the reception of his suit than regarded his interest and honour. Yet he could neither complain nor be surprised that it should be so. He contented himself, therefore, with repeating that his attachment was to Miss Ashton personally, that he desired neither wealth nor aggrandizement from her father's means and influence, and that nothing should prevent his keeping his engagement, excepting her own express desire that it should be relinquished, and he requested as a favour that the matter might be no more mentioned betwixt them at present, assuring the Marquis of A that he should be his confidant or its interruption. The Marquis soon had more agreeable as well as more interesting subjects on which to converse. A footpost who had followed him from Edinburgh to Ravenswood Castle, and had traced his steps to the Todd's Hole, laden with good news. The political calculations of the Marquis had proved just, both in London and at Edinburgh, and he saw almost within his grasp the preeminence for which he had panted. The refreshments which the servants had prepared were now put on the table, and an epicure would perhaps have enjoyed them, with additional zest from the contrast which such fare afforded to the miserable cabin in which it was served up. The turn of conversation corresponded with and added to the social feelings of the company. The Marquis expanded with pleasure on the power which probably incidents were likely to assign to him, and on the use which he hoped to make of it in serving his kinsman Ravenswood. Ravenswood could but repeat the gratitude which he really felt, even when he considered the topic as too long dwelt upon. The wine was excellent, notwithstanding its having been brought in a runlet from Edinburgh, and the habits of the Marquis, when engaged with such good cheer, were somewhat sedentary, and so it fell out that they delayed their journey two hours later than was their original purpose. "'But what of that, my good young friend?' said the Marquis. "'Your castle of Will's Crag is at but five or six miles' distance, "'and will afford the same hospitality to your kinsman of A "'that it gave to this same Sir William Ashton.' "'Sir William took the castle by storm,' said Ravenswood, "'and, like many a victor, had little reason to congratulate himself on his conquest.' "'Well, well,' said Lord A, whose dignity was something relaxed by the wine he had drunk. I see I must bribe you to harbour me. Come, pledge me in a bumper 
health to the last young lady that slept at Wolf's Crag, and liked her quarters. My bones are not so tender as hers, and I am resolved to occupy her apartment to-night, that I may judge how hard the couch is that love can soften. Your lordship may choose what penance you please, said Ravenswood, but I assure you I should expect my old servant to hang himself or throw himself from the battlements, should your lordship visit him so unexpectedly. I do assure you we are totally and literally unprovided. But his declaration only brought from his noble patron an assurance of his own total indifference as to every species of accommodation, and his determination to see the Tower of Will's Crag. His ancestor, he said, had been feasted there, when he went forward with the then Lord Ravenswood to the fatal battle of Flodden, in which they both fell. Thus hard-pressed, the master offered to ride forward to get matters put in such preparation as time and circumstances admitted, but the Marquis protested his kinsman must afford him his company, and would only consent that an avant-courier should carry to the destined seneschal, Caleb Balderstone, the unexpected news of this invasion. The master of Ravenswood soon after accompanied the Marquis in his carriage, as the latter had proposed, and when they became better acquainted in the progress of the journey, his noble relation explained the very liberal views which he entertained for his relation's preferment, in case of the success of his own political schemes. They related to a secret and highly important commission beyond sea, which could only be entrusted to a person of rank talent and perfect confidence, and which, as it required great trust and reliance on the envoy employed, could but not prove both honourable and advantageous to him. We need not enter into the nature and purpose of this commission, farther than to acquaint our readers that the charge was in prospect highly acceptable to the master of Ravenswood, who hailed with pleasure the hope of emerging from his present state of indigence and inaction, into independence and honourable exertion. While he listened thus eagerly to the details with which the Marquis now thought it necessary to entrust him, the messenger who had been dispatched to the Tower of Wolf's Crag returned with Caleb Balderstone's humble duty, and an assurance that all should be in seemly order, sick as the hurry of time permitted, to receive their lordships as it behoved. Ravenswood was too well accustomed to his seneschal's mode of acting and speaking to hope much from this confident assurance. He knew that Caleb acted upon the principle of the Spanish generals in the campaign of blank, who, much to the perplexity of the Prince of Orange, their commander-in-chief, used to report their troops as full in number and possessed of all necessary points of equipment, not considering it consistent with their dignity or the honour of Spain to confess any deficiency, either in men or munition, until the want of both was unavoidably discovered in the day of battle. Accordingly, Ravenswood thought it necessary to give the Marquis some hint that the fair assurance which they had just received from Caleb did not by any means ensure them against a very indifferent reception. "'You do yourself injustice, master,' said the Marquis, or you wish to surprise me agreeably. From this window I see a great light in the direction where, if I remember aright, Wolf's Crag lies, 
and to judge from the splendour which the old tower sheds around it, the preparations for our reception must be of no ordinary description. I remember your father putting the same deception on me when we went to the tower for a few days hawking, about twenty years since, and yet we spent our time as jollily at Wolf's Crag as we could have done at my own hunting seat at B. Your lordship, I fear, will experience that the faculty of the present proprietor to entertain his friends is greatly abridged, said Ravenswood. The will, I need hardly say, remains the same, but I am as much at a loss as your lordship to account for so strong and brilliant a light as is now above Wolf's Crag. The windows of the tower are few and narrow, and those of the lower story are hidden from us by the walls of the court. I cannot conceive that any illumination of an ordinary nature could afford such a blaze of light. The mystery was soon explained, for the cavalcade almost instantly halted, and the voice of Caleb Balderstone was heard at the coach window, exclaiming in accents broken by grief and fear, "'Och, gentlemen! Och, my good lords! Och, hod to the right! Will's crag is burning, bower and haw! Oh, the rich plenishing outside and inside! Oh, the fine graith, pictures, tapestries, needlework, hangings, and other decorments! Oh, and a blaze, as if they were nae mere than so many peats, or as muckle peas stray! Hod to the right, gentlemen, I implore ye! There is some small provision making at lucky small trashes, but oh, way for this night, and way for me that lives to see it! Ravenswood was first stunned by this new and unexpected calamity, but after a moment's recollection he sprang from the carriage, and hastily bidding his noble kinsman good night, was about to ascend the hill towards the castle, the broad and full conflagration of which now flung forth a high column of red light that flickered far to seaward upon the dashing waves of the ocean. "'Take a horse, master!' exclaimed the Marquis, greatly affected by this additional misfortune, so unexpectedly heaped upon his young protégé. "'And give me my ambling palfrey, and haste forward, you knaves, to see what can be done to save the furniture, or to extinguish the fire. Ride, you knaves, for your lives!' The attendants bustled together, and began to strike their horses with the spur, and call upon Caleb to show them the road. But the voice of that careful seneschal was heard above the tumult, Oh, stop, sirs, stop! Turn bridle for the love of mercy! Add not loss of lives to the loss of world's gain! Thirty barrels of powder, landed out of a Dunkirk dogger in the old lord's time, on the vaults of the old tower. The fire canna be far off it, I trow. Lord's sake, to the right, lads, to the right! Let's pit the hill atween us in peril. A wap wi a cornerstone o' Wolf's Crag would defy the doctor. It will readily be supposed that this annunciation hurried the Marquis and his attendants into the route which Caleb prescribed, dragging Ravenswood along with them, although there was much in the matter which he could not possibly comprehend. "'Gunpowder!' he exclaimed, laying hold of Caleb, who in vain endeavoured to escape from him. "'What gunpowder? How any quantity of powder could be in Will's Crag without my knowledge I cannot possibly comprehend.' "'But I can,' interrupted the Marquis, whispering him. "'I can comprehend it thoroughly. "'For God's sake, ask him no more questions at present.' 
There it is now, said Caleb, extricating himself from his master and adjusting his dress. Your honour will believe his lordship's honourable testimony. His lordship minds weel how, in the year that him they called King Willie died. Hush, hush, my good friend, said the Marquis. I shall satisfy your master upon that subject. And the people at Wolf's Hope, said Ravenswood, did none of them come to your assistance before the flame got so high? Ay, did they, mony any of them, the rapscallions, said Caleb. But truly I was in nae hurry to let them into the tower, where there were so much plate and valuables. Confound you for an impudent liar, said Ravenswood, in uncontrollable ire. There was not a single ounce of... Forby, said the butler most irreverently raising his voice to a pitch which drowned his master's. The fire made fast on us, owing to the store of tapestry and carved timmer in the banqueting hall, and the loons ran like scalded rats so soon as they heard of the gunpowder. I do entreat, said the Marquis to Ravenswood, you will ask him no more questions. Only one, my lord. What has become of poor Mysie? Mysie, said Caleb, I had nae time to look about ony Mysie. She's in the tower, I's warrant, biding her awful doom. By heaven, said Ravenswood, I do not understand all this. The life of a faithful old creature is at stake. My lord, I will be withheld no longer. I will at least ride up and see whether the danger is as imminent as this old fool pretends. Weel, then, as I live by bread, said Caleb, Mysie is weel and safe. I saw her out of the castle before I left it myself. Was I ganging to forget an old fellow's servant? What made you tell me the contrary this moment? said his master. Did I tell you the contrary? said Caleb. Then I'm on he been dreaming, surely. Or this awesome night has turned my judgment. But safe she is, and ne'er a living soul in the castle, all the better for them. They will have gotten an uncohesy. The master of Ravenswood, upon this assurance being solemnly reiterated, and notwithstanding his extreme wish to witness the last explosion, which was to ruin to the ground the mansion of his fathers, suffered himself to be dragged onward towards the village of Wolf's Hope, where not only the change house, but that of our well-known friend the cooper, were all prepared for reception of himself and his noble guest with a liberality of provision which requires some explanation. We omitted to mention in its place that Lockhard, having fished out the truth concerning the mode by which Caleb had obtained the supplies for his banquet, the Lord Keeper, amused with the incident, and desirous at the time to gratify Ravenswood, had recommended the Cooper of Wolf's Hope to the official situation under government, the prospect of which had reconciled him to the loss of his wild fowl. Mr. Girder's preferment had occasioned a pleasing surprise to old Caleb, for when, some days after his master's departure, he found himself absolutely compelled, by some necessary business, to visit the fishing hamlet, and was gliding like a ghost past the door of the cooper, for fear of being summoned to give some account of the progress of the solicitation in his favour, or, more probably, that the inmates might upbraid him, with the false hope he had held out upon the subject. He heard himself, not without some apprehension, summoned at once in treble, tenor, and bass, 
a trio performed by the voices of Mrs. Girder, old Dame Loup the Dyke, and the goodman of the dwelling. Mr. Caleb! Mr. Caleb Balderstone! I hope ye are gang and dry-lipped by our door, and we say muckle indebted to you. This might be said ironically as well as in earnest. Caleb augured the worst, turned a deaf ear to the trio aforesaid, and was moving doggedly on, his ancient castor pulled over his brows, and his eyes bent on the ground, as if to count the flinty pebbles with which the rude pathway was causewayed. But on a sudden he found himself surrounded in his progress, like a stately merchantman in the gut of Gibraltar. I hope the ladies will excuse the tarpaulin phrase. By three Algerine galleys. Good guide us, Mr. Balderstone, said Mrs. Girder. Wah, wait he thought it of an old and kind friend, said the mother. And no so muckle as stay to receive our thanks, said the cooper himself, and fra the like o' me that seldom offers them. I am sure I hope there's nae ill seed son between us, Mr. Balderstone. Ony man that has said to you I am no grateful for the situation of Queen's Cooper, let me hae a wample at him wi' mine each. That's all. My good friends, my dear friends, said Caleb, still doubting how the certainty of the matter might stand. What needs all this ceremony? Yin tries to serve their friends, and sometimes they may happen to prosper, and sometimes to misgee. Nathan I care to be fashed with less than thanks. I never could bide them. Faith, Mr. Balderstone, you should have been fashed with few of mine, said the downright man of staves and hoops. If I had only your good will to thank you for, I should e'en he set the goose and the wild dukes and the runlet of sack to balance that account. Good will, man, is a geezin' tub that hods in nae liquor. But good deeds like the cask, tight, round, and sound, that will hod liquor for the king. Have you no heard of our letter? said the mother-in-law, making our John the Queen's cooper for certain, and scarce a child that had ever hammered girt upon tub, but was applying for it. Have I heard? said Caleb, who now found how the wind set, with an accent of exceeding contempt at the doubt expressed. Have I heard, Koshi? and as he spoke he changed his shambling, skulking, dodging pace into a manly and authoritative step, readjusted his cocked hat, and suffered his brow to emerge from under it in all the pride of aristocracy, like the sun from behind a cloud. "'To be sure, he canna but I heard,' said the good woman. "'Aye, to be sure it's impossible, but I should,' said Caleb. "'And say, I'll be the first to kiss you, Joe,' And wish you, Cooper, much joy of your preferment, nithin doubtin but ye ken wha are your friends, and have helped ye, and can help ye. I thought it right to look a wee strange upon it at first, added Caleb, just to see if ye were made of the right metal. But ye ring true, lad, ye ring true. So saying, with a most lordly air, he kissed the women, and abandoned his hand with an air of serene patronage, to the hearty shake of Mr. Girder's horn-hard palm. Upon this complete, and to Caleb most satisfactory information, he did not, it may readily be believed, hesitate to accept an invitation to a solemn feast, to which were invited not only all the notables of the village, but even his ancient antagonist, Mr. Dingwall himself. 
At this festivity he was, of course, the most welcome and most honoured guest, and so well did he ply the company with stories of what he could do with his master, his master with the Lord Keeper, the Lord Keeper with the Council, and the Council with the King, that before the company dismissed, which was indeed rather at an early hour than a late one, every man of note in the village was ascending to the top gallant of some ideal preferment by the ladder of ropes which Caleb had presented to their imagination. Nay, the cunning butler regained in that moment not only all the influence he possessed formerly over the villagers, when the baronial family which he served were at their proudest, but acquired even an accession of importance. The writer, the very attorney himself, such is the thirst of preferment, felt the force of the attraction, and taking an opportunity to draw Caleb into a corner, spoke with affectionate regret of the declining health of the sheriff clerk of the county. "'An excellent man, a most valuable man, Mr. Caleb, but that's all I say. We are poor feckless bodies, here the day, and a wall by cock screech the morn. And if he fails, there maun be somebody in his place. And if that ye could ert it my way, I shall be thankful, man, a glove stuffed wi' gowd nobles, and hark ye, man, something canny till yoursel, and the wolf's hope, carols, to settle kindly with the master of Ravenswood, that is, Lord Ravenswood, God bless his lordship. A smile and a hearty squeeze by the hand was the suitable answer to this overture, and Caleb made his escape from the jovial party, in order to avoid committing himself by any special promises. "'The Lord be good to me,' said Caleb, when he found himself in the open air, and at liberty to give vent to the self-exultation with which he was, as it were, distended. "'Did ever ony man see sick a set o' green gaislands? The very pickmaws and solengies out by yonder at the bass hae ten times their sense. God, and I had been the Lord High Commissioner to the Estates of Parliament, they couldn't hae beflummed me mare. And to speak heaven's truth, I could hardly hae beflummed them better neither. But the writer, ha ha ha, ah ha mercy on me, that I should live in my old days to gie the ganag by to the very writer. Sheriff Clark, by he an old account to settle with a carl, and to make amends for bygains, the office shall just cost him as much time-servin' and tide-servin' as if he were to get it in good earnest, of whilk there is small appearance, unless the master learns mere the ways of this world, whilk it is muckle to be doubted that he never will do. End of chapter 25